What I'm trying to get at this morning is is that we must be open and willing to embrace the supernatural and the miraculous power of God and not be afraid of it. And we can't just have a form of godliness, but there must also be a demonstration of the power and life-changing work that Christ has done in us. And a lot of you have not seen it before. And so when you see it, it can seem, or hear about it, it can seem abnormal, not normal. So what we do is we make the supernatural normal and we call it super normal natural. Let me ask you a question. If you call yourself a Christian, if there's anybody here that calls himself a Christian, here's my question. Shouldn't you do what Jesus did? I want to make you think, all right? But the answer is yes. So if we call ourselves Christians, we must not only live and love the way he did, but demonstrate. There must be all three activated in our life. Loving, living, and demonstrating. All three have to happen. So let's say that together. And when I ask you guys to repeat with me, I'm having you do that because it gets inside of you and it's a little bit interactive. So let's say loving, Loving. living, Living. and demonstrating. Those three are critical. So let's look at Hebrews chapter two, verse four. In Hebrews chapter two, verse four, it says that God bore witness. Everybody say bear witness. God bore witness to who he was through signs and wonders, various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those three things confirmed who he was. Are we bringing it up on the screen? Hebrews chapter two, verse four. I know it really well, but I want you to see it. And you can also you know, pull it up on your iPhone or iPad or your Bible. So God confirmed who he was and bore witness. You know what it means to bear witness? It means to corroborate. And to corroborate is a powerful word. It means that he made more certain and confirmed his nature and his deity. It means that he was brought into, that he used those to unify himself and demonstrate who he was. Signs, wonders, miracles, and the gifts of the spirit all bear witness to who he is, okay? And so what that means in essence is that God joined together the miraculous to confirm his love and his deity. It means that these signs and wonders and miracles confirmed in every way to us and to others how much he loved and how much he cared about all of us. That's what they do, all right? Make sure you understand that it's not designed to just be a show to promote man. It's ultimately designed to confirm who God is and to demonstrate his love towards other people. Now let's take a look at John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, right before this statement, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, Jesus is making some pretty profound statements. He's saying things like this, that no one has the power to take my life. I freely give my life, but I have the power to raise it up again. It's all prior to this. It's this context. And he says, anybody that the Father gives me, no one can take out of my hands. And he's making these profound statements about his deity, And it was really, really making the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes upset. And what was really making them upset is because 
Anybody that ever claimed to be equal with God in the Old Testament deserved to die. The ultimate reason why Jesus died or, or why they crucified Jesus was because of blasphemy. And I've met many, many Jewish friends. I have many Jewish friends. They own shops in Port Aransas. And anytime I go to Key West or Myrtle Beach, I meet Jewish guys. I'm from Miami. So I know a lot of Jewish guys. And one of the main things that most of the Jews say is that Jesus really was a great prophet. And he was walking in the supernatural. And he was sent from God as a prophet. But where Jesus went astray was he got haughty he got prideful, and then he started laying claim to God, saying he was God, and the Jews believed that's why he died, and rightly so, he should have died. Blasphemy was the ultimate reason why Jesus was crucified. But let me also tell you, the Jews and the, and the chief priests and the scribes also hated the works he was doing. Why? Because he was doing some crazy things like touching lepers, touching coffins, healing people on the Sabbath. I mean, he was doing all these things that were completely contrary to the religious laws that, the, that they had set in place. He was a nonconformist. Everybody say nonconformist. That's what God wants all of us to be. Meaning that we're not conforming to man-made religion. That's why this church cannot revolve around me. I'm here to prop you up and propel you and all the leaders. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but rather to serve. So real church leadership should be bottom up, not top down, right? Now, granted, everything flows from the headship of Christ, wisdom, insight, understanding, love. And yes, that will flow through me to you as well. But when it comes to the work and the nature of who we are in building a family, I'm propelling and propping you up. I don't have to have bodyguards. I don't have to have the best seat at the table. What I want you to do is become family, be unified and love really well and let's do life together as a family. That gets me really fired up. My greatest reward is when I see testimonies and I see Ryan being awakened to God's love and Alex going, man, I don't know what's happening. I'm feeling God's presence and stay the course. When I see couples come together and get married and stick it out and don't run away. When I see people genuinely get lit on fire, I'm like, man, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sonship and identity when they know who they are. Those are the things that I really love. So Jesus makes this profound statement, I and my father are one, and man, it really hacked off the religious leaders. Let's look at the next verse. So in the next verse, they take up stones to stone him. Now, this isn't a rock throwing contest. This is like seething anger. This is like, I wanna kill you right now. You have made me so mad, I hate you. This is hatred. This is, this is something rising up to say, how could you ever lay claim to be God? You are blaspheming and everything I've ever stood for, you are now coming against and I'm gonna wipe you out now. Think of the setting. This is pretty intense. And I tell you that, to think of Jesus's response because Jesus's response is so profound. I mean, these guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees have stones in their hand and they're ready to wipe him out. And this is what Jesus says, verse 32. He makes this profound statement. I'll put it into, I'll make it like personal, okay? Imagine if you were doing all this incredible stuff like Jesus was, 
people got really angry and they're ready to wipe me. You're like, why are you guys so mad? I mean, what really have I done? What are you really coming against me for? What, what good works did I do that you don't like? I'm paraphrasing it. You're so upset, but I've done nothing but good. The way I've lived my life, the way I've loved, the way I've healed everybody has been nothing but good. And Jesus makes this awesome statement. He says, what many good works I've shown you, which ones of these are you gonna stone me for? Wanting to stone me for? Now let's talk about good works for a minute. Good works is the understanding of nobility and character first. Jesus's first point was, I've lived my life upright, I have fulfilled all the commandments in a sense of the law. I've been to temple. I I fulfilled all the, Jesus was a fulfillment of the law. It was man-made regulations and laws that he was continuing to break, right? He didn't defy scripture. He defied the system of traditions and dysfunction that was holding people back from becoming who God wanted them to become. That's why I must propel you and empower you and not hold you back from doing what God called you to do. But I also have to measure you and tell you that sin will kill you and warn you because that's what fathers do. Fathers warn and protect. And more than anything, I should be a spiritual father. That's why I love Randy. Because what Randy really is is a dad. Get to know his daughters. He's told me stories. But what he really is is a father and I love fathers. I don't need guest speakers, guest ministers. I'm looking for blood brothers and fathers for life. And that's why I love him. And so you've got to understand that Jesus was defiant to the religious leaders and it really made him mad. That's why you're going to have religious people and leaders sadly persecute you, especially if you're going to step into the more that God has for you. You better believe people are gonna call this church a cult and cra- you go to that crazy Rock City church. People are gonna come in looking around for snakes and thinking we're somewhere because we cast out demons. Lay- because we do what Jesus did basically is what it comes down to, all right? So just prepare yourself if you're gonna stick around. In fact, the Bible says, happy are you when you suffer reproach for my name's sake because the spirit of the Lord's resting on your head. I'm like, hey, The more persecution that comes, now I realize, man, the spirit of the Lord's actually resting on my head. Bring it on. And that's what happened to Jesus. You can't be afraid of the persecution and you've got to let go of the man-pleasing spirit. If you have a man-pleasing thing and always worried about how you look, how you sound, how you feel, and that everybody likes you, you're going to miss the best God has for you. That's got to be broken out of your life. And it had to be broken out of my life. Because the wilder we get, the more passion we get, baptism of fire, moving in the signs and wonders and miracles, all the things that are going to happen, if I'm not confident in who I am and God's called me to be, I'll never be able to do it because I'll be worried. I hope you come back. I hope you give money. I hope this church grows. Oh my gosh, we have a $2.8 million shopping center. If the people don't give and come back, it could not make it. And I'm walking in fear. And then I start preaching tingling ear messages that you really like. And it's lip service and there's no power. I'd rather it all be laid down if we don't have the power. I don't want any form of godliness in my life. I want to fully be embracing everything God has. I mean, I want a form, but I also want the power. And we're going to talk about that in a second. You guys all right? You feeling good? All right. So this is going to get really good. You're going to get your eyes wide open today. So Jesus said, I've done all these good works. Good works involves three things. Good works involves three things. The first thing is how you love. 
I don't care about the power if you don't love well. Uh, your gifts and all the great things you're gonna do and your ministry and ministry resumes, none of that means anything to me if I don't see the character in your life, if it's not backed up by the way you love first. I can pretty quickly see by how somebody loves. That's what I look for first. The second thing I look for is how you live. Because if you got all this power and you're doing all this stuff, but your life is jacked up, your marriage is jacked up, your kids are jacked up, you're changing jobs every two months, or you don't have a J-O-B, and you got five kids. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fruit inspector. You gotta be fruit inspectors. God measures us in the context of relationships, and you can't get offended when somebody that really loves well calls you out and says, says look, you... You have got to engage more, first with the Lord and then together with us. I have a friend that I love dearly. I love her dearly. And she's been hurting. And she recently reached out and said, I feel like I've been invisible at the church. And I said, no one knows you. We don't see you. You don't come to any of the events. And it's been hard. She's gone. And granted, she's been through a lot. And it was a deceptive lie that the church doesn't care. But if you're not visible and present, how are we gonna get into relationship with you to really stand with you and help you? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that want help, money, going through crisis and need things. But God wants a family. We're not just a bank doling out help for people. We're building sons and daughters. We're building strong community. We're building relationships that ultimately transform the, your neighbors, your block, your coworkers, city hall, mayors, city councilmen. Suddenly, by who we become, we transform others. So how you love, let's say how you love. How you love. Second is how you, live. how you live. You have to have moral righteousness in your life. And there's a process for that. There are sons and daughters in this house struggling with porn, addiction. Their, life's been a, their lives have been a train wreck. They have this history of brokenness. I want them here. I want you here. You're at the right place. If you have dysfunction going on everywhere in your life, thank God you're here because you get some help, right? But a true father lovingly strengthens and warns and isn't afraid to have the hard conversations. And we're not allowing ourselves to get offended so easily, but we're getting into relationship. And I'm sorry if other people hurt you and it was all done wrong. And guess what? We're not Mr. and Miss Perfect either. God sees us as perfect, but we're in the process of sanctification and becoming more like him. And so are you. Let's have a lot more grace and mercy for each other. Can we do that? Yeah. Right? Can we understand process and be patient? Okay. And so Jesus says, many good works I've shown you from my father. Which one of these are you stoning for? St wanting to stone me for? And look at what, what the Jews say, verse 33. They're like, because see, there's a lot of other people around. And, G and they didn't like the works he was doing either, by the way. They didn't like those. But really, they were trying to catch him in the ultimate, ultimate blasphemy of claiming to be God. So they didn't like the works either. So they're, they're gonna say and give lip service, ah, it's not really that we don't like your works. That's not really why. But it's for blasphemy because you are a simple, lowly man, just like everybody else, and you're making yourself out to be God. 
That was the ultimate reason why they wanted to stone him. Now, that's applicable to your life. It's one thing to do good works. It's another thing when you start saying, I'm a son and I'm a daughter and I hear God's voice. And I'm telling you the days coming in our society when you claim to hear God's voice that people are gonna say, you're schizophrenic, you're crazy, and here's why. Because the devil has masterfully played other people that have claimed to hear God's voice but were crazy and killed and murdered and did horrible things in the name of God, okay? That's why doctrine, that's why sound doctrine is critical in knowing your Bible. That's why mothers and fathers and family is critical because it brings a good reputation and a character because we know each other now. You're not just some isolated lone ranger out in the middle of you know, the desert, but you're in relationships so people know you and measure you. And so Jesus makes this profound statement and I'm not gonna go into the teaching on it. It's for another day, but I will give you insight to it because I love it so much. Look at verse 34. Jesus rocks him right between the kisser. I mean, he just fits him right between the nose. I mean, I love it because I know Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is eight scriptures long. And in Psalm 82, it's written directly to people like myself or judges or people on earth that are supposed to be representatives of the nature and the character and the justice of God. All of you for homework tonight should go read Psalm 82. Make it your homework. I'm putting it into context for you. Because in Psalm 82, two times, it says that the judges and the leaders were called God's little g. But the whole essence of the psalm is, instead of defending the fatherless, loving the widows, helping the orphans, which, were, which is the ultimate purpose on earth that God wants us to do, is re bring restoration to family. Orphans, widows, sons and daughters, all in the context of family. And they got sideways because man without the spirit will always try to bring justice in their own way. That's why you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and full of the spirit. It is a requirement in the New Testament for anybody that would be a leader in a leadership position. Full of the spirit, full of faith, fearing God, hating covetous, covetousness. All of those are the requirements for leadership in the Bible. That's a fruit issue. It's a fruit issue. And so Jesus Certainly, this really hit them hard because I guarantee you they knew Psalm 82. Jesus didn't even have to go through the whole Psalm and break it down. In fact, God said in Psalm 82, verse six, said, I called you gods and children of the most high, but now you're gonna die like every other man dies because you have perverted justice. Woo, he's socking them right between the eyes because that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were doing because they were trying to take your money, make you get uniform to themselves and conform to a religious system. This church will throw you on tilt if you don't get converted. Because this church has to be family driven and family led. And if somebody gets goofy and sideways or hurt or offended, we need to lovingly restore them, lovingly try to encourage them, lovingly try to help them back because it's sadly gonna happen. Somebody's gonna get their feelings hurt. Somebody's gonna walk away and we need to do the best we can to love them. But you need to do the best you can to not get offended. I'm gonna show you that in a minute, okay? And so Jesus says, hey, is it not written in your law that you are God's? Woo, that's gonna make them even matter. Because if you know Psalm 82, 
Yeah, it's written that you're God's, but what I'm really saying is you perverted justice. Okay, look at the next verse, 35. He says, if he, meaning the father or God in the Old Testament, called them gods, little g, okay? We're, we're actually called gods. If we're justice bearers on earth, God calls us little g to represent his character and nature on earth. He says, if God called them gods to whom the word of God came, which it did, and the scripture cannot be broken, pause. If you've ever heard me make this statement, this scripture backs it up. You don't break God's laws, God's laws break you. And Jesus ultimately fulfilled all the scripture. And when you decide to live in sin, adultery, continue it. I'm talking like keep practicing it and don't get to, we'll help you through the process. We'll help you to get transformed. And the only thing that'll really ultimately transform you is to get fascinated by the pleasure of God in the secret place and letting his life that's inside of you transform you. You get born again, you get spirit filled, and then you sit with him and let his nature marinate inside of you. And now what you do privately gets revealed publicly. It's really not a mystery. I mean, it, it is to a lot of people, but it shouldn't be to us as sons and daughters. So he's saying, look, the scripture can't be broken. You can't break scripture. God spoke his word and his word sustains everything. That's why we must adhere and read our Bibles and stand firm with God's word. Verse 36, he says, do you say of him who the father sanctified? So now Jesus is talking about himself in third person. So Jesus switches to third person conversation and he says, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? So he's like, I have been sanctified and I was sent into the world. Jesus just, he takes it to another level because he's not a man pleaser. He's not, doesn't have the fear of man in his life. I know you don't like, may, this is me talking. So I know you may not agree with casting out demons and laying hands on the sick and and praying in tongues because you've never seen it. But look at the fruit of it. Look at the young adults lit up. Look at what happens at these, just come to the next healing service that we have on the West side. Just come and see the tribe. Come see the army. Wisdom's justified by our children. Talk to these millennials that are getting lit up that I didn't have to convert them with good talk, but the presence and the power of God that's changing them. And Jesus is saying, look, hey, yeah, I was, you're gonna go ahead. If they jacked it up and didn't even get it right, and now I have been sanctified and sent into the world, you're gonna say that I'm blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? He just reaffirmed it. And let me tell you this. This next, state, next three statements are gonna really change your life because Jesus says one of the most profound things I've probably ever read in the Bible. Look at verse 37. He says, if I don't do the works of my father, do not believe me. If there's not a, a demonstration of the father's works, everybody say the father's works. Father's don't believe me. Everything has to come from the father's heart. The way I love you, the way I pray for you, everything in the supernatural, all the works, everything must be father's heart driven. And there are many of you here that really have never known the father's heart. You've had jacked up dads. You were raised in a jacked up way. You were taught religious things about who God was that isn't who he is. And we're in, the, we're in this whole era of how good the father is. He's a good, good father because he's revealing the greatness of his nature and character and how much he really loves and cares about you. So everything has to come from the father's heart. 
So he says this, if you don't believe the works of my father, don't believe me. Look at the next verse, 38. But if I do, even though you don't believe in me, at least believe in the works. Everybody say, believe in the works. You know why? Because the works will cause you to know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. The works confirm and demonstrate, they bear witness. And so even if, that's why we can't just have lip service. You may not like me. You may not like my teaching. It can't be built on my teaching and my lip service and on Nathan's worship. There must be works because the works reveal. Here's another way to say it. I don't understand how anybody could ever believe that this world came into existence with an amoeba on the back of a crystal. And you're gonna tell me from an amoeba on the back of a crystal, billions of years ago came humanity, eyeballs, and the birthing process of a baby? That's the most fascinating thing to me in the world. How about the Great Barrier Reef and rainforests and the stars? In fact, the Bible says in Romans 1 that the visible things that we see reveal the invisible characteristics of God. That's why some people say, oh man, my church is, is the beach. My church is on my boat. My church is out wade fishing. My church is out fill in the blank in nature. You know why? Because those things do reveal in a sense who he is. And so what happens is, is when you look at creation, you say to yourself, gosh, there's gotta be a God. There's gotta be a God. The Bible says the heavens declare the handiwork, Psalm 18, the heavens declare the handiwork of who God is. Now, how much more signs and wonders and miracles and transform lives. So what happens is, is your own life first is a confirmation. When I used to be a grateful dead chasing, womanizing, drug dealing, when I used to be that guy, I'm not that guy anymore. And now all the people that I used to bar hop with and go, went to high school with and all these people that I went to concerts with, they secretly have watched my life for years, secretly. I know people see my Facebook page. And instead of getting goofy and weird and divisive and trying to use Facebook as my pulpit, I use it to connect the radiance and beauty of who the Lord is and what he's done. Anybody can find me. We have a website. Anybody can come. All these messages are on podcasts. Somebody's listening right now, getting rocked and impacted. And what happens is, is they see and they say to themselves, now I, I used to know you. You used to be that bar hopping, womanizing, drug dealing, drug doing. And 25 years ago, I watched you give your life to the Lord and you never deviated in fact, you're more on fire than you've ever been. Now I really can see Jesus's work through a demonstration of good works. Now I haven't been perfect, but God in his love has sanctified me and brought me to this point. So what Jesus is saying, look, even if you don't wanna believe in me, at least believe in what I'm doing, because here's why. The works of God will point you to something. You know what the works of God point you to? The Father's love. Look, it says right there. At least believe the works so that you'd know and believe what? The Father, that the Father is here because it all comes down to his love. How many of you'd like to see me lay hands on somebody right now publicly that's got cancer and see them get healed? How many? 
And that demonstration, now we don't do it as a dog and pony show, but we pray for people, that gets you excited, right? Now, how many of you would like to see somebody that is fully demonically possessed come up here, I lay hands on them, their eyes roll back in the back of their heads, they start foaming from the mouth, they hit the ground, wriggling and writhing and start cussing in a strange voice with a weird look on their face, and then they levitate off the ground. How many? That's about 75% less than wanted to see the healing. Let's just, I'm, I'm showing you something. Both are just as beautiful. Now, I don't do that because it's not a public, I don't, Jesus did things publicly, things will happen like that here publicly, but I don't want to humiliate somebody. The last thing I want to do because I'm a father is get somebody up here for a show so you could all watch them foam at the mouth and then they're embarrassed after they got set free, but yet you all got to see. Some people really struggle with that. It's not out to be a show, but it will happen in the context of prayer. There's times I'll say, everybody stand up. Somebody right now is demonically possessed and struggling. I've had people manifest in the back row, screaming out while I'm just said the prayer. And then we went and covered them up and prayed for them. You should see it because Jesus did it. Some of you have never seen it, but you've got to say, Lord, I want it. And then position yourself after it's happened in you. Now there must be an outward display. Otherwise, all you have is a form of godliness. And we don't want just forms of godliness. I'm tired of lip service church, aren't you? Now, again, I might not normally preach this on a Sunday morning, but this is what the Lord said to do. In the next two weeks, we're gonna, I'm gonna be teaching on family, children, because we're going into a family conference. But it'll always have a tinge of the supernatural, just so you know that, all right? So he says, look, you don't have to believe in me, but at least believe in the works that I'm doing and that the Father's in me and I in him. And this made the, the Jews and the leaders so mad that look at verse 39. They were seething even more after this, this confrontation and they again sought to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse one. Check this out. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their city. I'm gonna solidify this point to you. Verse two. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, verse three. And he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? How weird is that? John had baptized Jesus. In fact, in John 1.8, when Jesus shows up on the scene, John heralds out, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But now John, Jesus's cousin, is in prison because he prophesied over, what's his name, uh, have an affair, whatever his name was, Herod. Yeah, it's been a while since I've taught that. Anyway, John, John's prophecy about adultery lands him in prison. It's Jesus's cousin. He bap John baptized Jesus, and now John's struggling with doubt. John's doubting. You know why? You know why John's doubting? Not because Jesus didn't come and break the chains out of prison. John's doubting because he would have assumed that the Messiah would have already set up his reign and his kingdom because there wasn't an understanding fully of the cross. 
And so now John in prison begins to think to himself, wait a minute, I proclaim the Messiah, taking away the sins of the world. And now look, he's not done it yet. So he's, he's doubting. So he sends, he hears about what Jesus is doing in prison and he sends two, two of his disciples to Jesus says, are you the one or do we need to go ahead and look for another? Aren't you the one? I mean, I was sure you were the one. And that's why when things don't happen in your timing, you come to the Lord, you give your life, but something you believed for or prayed for or something sadly went awry or a crisis happened in your life, suddenly we begin to doubt. And doubt can be a very real reality for so many of us. And I want you to notice what's so powerful about what Jesus says. But first, let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't just offer nice encouragement and say, listen, tell, go tell John, look, I'm your cousin, I really am, and just hang in there. It's gonna be all right. Yes, I am. I am who I said I am. And I just want you to hold out the course and don't give up. And I wanna really encourage you that I am, gonna, I am who I said I was and just hang in there. I know your head's about to get chopped off, but just hang in there. <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says something so profound that I love it so much. And in Luke chapter seven, we get the same story. And it says that as soon as John's disciples came to Jesus, Jesus in that very hour, you can go read Luke seven, in that very hour begins to heal the sick, cast out demons and cure people right in front of John's disciples. Look at this next verse, verse four. He says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Everybody say hear and see. Let's say it again, hear and see. You've got to have both. So in Luke seven, Jesus isn't just going to send the disciples back with a nice word. He's going to demonstrate his power you read it in Luke 7, by doing it for them to witness it so that now when the disciples, John's disciples go back, they're gonna go, you won't believe what we saw. Jesus was rocking some demons, healing people on the spot. I mean, this was supernatural. Because look at the next verse, verse five. Here's what they would hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That is the church that I want. This describes Rock City Church. Okay? I don't want to just read about this. Who wants to raise somebody from the dead? Who wants to see somebody in a wheelchair get completely healed and get out? Who wants to see anybody with a sickness or disease cleansed and healed? Who wants to see the blind open their eyes? Who wants to see the deaf hear? So Jesus, instead of giving nice lip service of comforting, he says, check this out. You want to know if, if we're the real deal? If I'm the real deal, watch this. Bam, 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 bam. Healing, deliverance, signs and wonders. Now, guys, go tell John that the lame see the blind. Go tell them what you just heard and saw. Are you guys even catching this this morning? I who is going to really explain to you why you need signs, wonders, and powers, and miracles? Now you have some verbiage from the Bible to bring understanding of why we do what we do. Verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He says to John, one, let him know, don't get offended. You know what the word for offended is in the Greek? 
It's the word for scandal, scandalous. And it actually means this. You know a trap that has a little tripwire? It means to be the tripwire. It means to be the stick that you kicked that caused you to fall in the trap. In the trap. And some people are rightly so an offense to the kingdom. They're misrepresenting, and in turn, their offense causes other people to be offended. But here's what happens. Not only does somebody's offense cause somebody to get trapped, but if you stay offended, you stay in the trap. And you always think there's something scandalous going on. Now, Jesus just talked about the supernatural. In the, and in the context of the supernatural, here's what can happen. It's just a show. I don't really believe that. There's a secret scandalous event and we get offended and we allow our hearts to be held back because we're living in an offense. Powerful, so powerful. All right, now I'm gonna conclude with this scripture, but first I'm gonna give you guys some homework because I don't have enough time to preach it. So I'm gonna challenge you to go read your Bible. In Acts chapter two, verse 33, Peter's standing up on Pentecost, the power hits, supernatural sound. I mean, everything's supernatural. And he says, he talks about hearing and seeing. And then it says that the people in verse 37 through 41 were so cut to the heart by his preaching and what they saw on Pentecost that they cried out, what must I do? And Jesus takes them to the cross. That's Acts chapter two. That reinforces seeing and hearing. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46, G, uh, Peter is at Cornelius' house. We have the first preaching to the Gentiles and Peter preaches the gospel through a divine connection, through vision, signs and wonders. He's brought to Cornelius' house. He preaches the gospel and while he's talking, in verse 44, it says that the Holy Spirit fell on the people while he's talking and they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And the, the Jewish believers that didn't really want to bring the gospel to the Gentiles that were there were so rocked because they couldn't deny that the Holy Spirit had hit the Gentiles and now they're prophesying and praying in tongues. And I wanna leave you with this. You've gotta be so careful to not let yourself get deceived, okay? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse five, there are people that will genuinely have a form of godliness and it is very real. The word for form is the word metamorpho. It comes from the word metamorphosis. And what it means is that they have a semblance and a resemblance of God, okay? The word have in the Greek is the word echo. It's an odd... It's, it's used in a different context in many other places in the Bible. Here's what it means. It means that there are people that echo, resemble, and even have some form of godliness in their life, which a form of godliness can actually look like a life that is supernatural, but it's not, okay? Now, these people can have serious character issues in their life. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul identifies what those are. Let's go back to verse one. In the last days, perilous times are gonna happen. I think we're in those last days now, okay? Perilous times. But look at verse two. 
It's, it's one sentence. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. Pro- now, these are people, by the way, that have a form of godliness. Make sure you catch that. And ultimately, if you go back to verse five, what does Paul say? Stay away from them. And we have settled for so little in the American culture that we will be okay with character issues in people's lives so long as they have a form of godliness. Woo, my hair's standing up when I said that. And we settle for so little that somebody can be such a good speaker and give such good lip service and have such a resemblance and there's no power, but we're okay with it. And God is gonna shift that. And anybody that's not full gospel and willing to really embrace the fullness is either not gonna make it in these end times or we need to pray they get flipped. And there's some pastors in this town that some of you speak negative about or ill about and you need to stop. I'm sorry that they made mistakes. I'm sorry that they hurt you. Jesus is hanging on the cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you wanna be, I know it's institutionalized. I know that, I get it. But what we should pray is that they get flipped and filled with the Holy Ghost. Because can you imagine a mega church pastor that has 10,000 people that gets rocked with the night vision and starts shikara basara baka, and next thing you know, everything flips in a night? And yet you were speaking negative and complaining about that person? So these people have all these issues in their life, and it says they still have a form of godliness, but what do they deny? The power. And this word for power is supernatural, miraculous, like explosive, demonstrated power that first brings nobility and character. What good is it if I'm walking in supernatural power, but I'm not living like Jesus did? And Jesus said to those at the end times that come to him, did we not walk in supernatural, I'm paraphrasing, did we not prophesy, cast out demons? He says, I never knew you. Because if you don't first have the Father's love radiating and you care more about the people than you do the supernatural manifestation, if you don't have that first, you're gonna be misguided and Jesus won't know you. And the last thing that I don't want any of you to do is keep giving lip service and being apathetic. You know what the word for apathetic is in the Greek? It means I'm rejecting it. And you know what the word for skeptic is? If you keep saying I'm always a skeptic and you got the ever microscope watchful eye, that's looking for a scandal and you'll get offended and you'll get tripped. And the word for skeptic is the exact word in the Greek for scorpion. That's why Jesus said, I give you power to trample on snakes and scorpions. They're not literal, they're figurative. Snakes are deceptive, lying and waiting, always waiting to trick you and catch you. And then the scorpion comes out with its tail and stings you and you didn't even know it was there hidden up inside your bed sheets. I've seen it happen. And in the, in the spirit, we're skeptical, always lying and waiting to bite, devour, or find a scandal. And we get offended easy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl, okay? I love Jesus so much. And I pray and believe I will never ever fall short or do something that would, would him, hinder or limit what God wants to do on this earth. I love my wife. I live my life upright. I'm desperate for Jesus and I'm passionate because I'm so desperate and I've made so many mistakes to get to this spot. I made way too many mistakes, but God in his mercy and his grace put me here and he's been forgiven much, loves much. 
And it'll be only by the grace of God that I can keep doing it and I'm a son. And that's why I must stay hooked into the character and nature of him. Otherwise I can become like those judges in Psalm 82, where you get sidetracked and you start perverting justice. And I never want to lose that ever. And I really genuinely believe after 25 years of staying the course that the rest of my life, I will not deviate and neither will this church. I'm out to build a a multi-generational, long-lasting trajectory, eternal church. Everybody say an eternal church, which means we must get eternity in our hearts for what's in front of us. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bendett, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. Until next time, and stay fired up.